Uh, for my life, he bled and died. I'd like to talk through that for just a second. Well, it's so good to be with you. My name is Chris Anderson. I am a pastor for the last 25 years. I grew up in Colorado, and I moved away because I thought the whole world was that beautiful. It is not. <laughs> you know, so I made a big life decision, an early mistake. Uh, I went to Bible college and seminary, trained to be a pastor. I was a church planter for uh, 15 years in Ohio. Uh, during Sunday school, I, I confessed that I am a hardcore Ohio State Buckeyes fan. Uh, go ahead and boo hiss, I understand. Yeah, but we have, uh, we have Hawkeye fans here. I see we have Wisconsin Badger here, probably some Minnesota fans. I'm really a Big Ten fan. Uh, I cheer for any big team that we're not playing. Even Michigan, which tries, you know, try, I know, it's, it's a hard thing. But uh, I wanted to get that out there. I know I'm already starting now uh, in the hole. You know, I have to build some rapport back. But uh, So I pastored there for 15 years, and then uh, the Lord led me to pastor Killian Hill Baptist Church in Atlanta. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today uh, as part of my testimony of what God's doing in my life after Nearly 25 years of pastoral ministry, the Lord recently transitioned me to uh, work with biblical ministries worldwide, BMW, and a lot like a lot like Baptist Mid. I think uh, the two organizations might have been twins separated at birth. Uh, very similar. You'd know uh, Baptist Mid probably better. Uh, BMW is another missions organization that is helping churches to send people to uh, unreached places around the world. And, um, and God's allowed me to do that full time. I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, but my, my night job when I'm not working, uh, as a pastor or, or biblical, uh, ministries worldwide is, uh, I'm a writer and sometimes a hymn writer. And, um, Willie, thank you for this morning. I loved every song that we sang, uh, everyone. And, all of them are taking us to the scriptures and reminding us of Jesus and what he's done. Uh, Noah, go ahead and get back to that, um, the, the song that we just sang. All of those that we sang this morning were written during our lifetime. Uh, most of them were written during the lifetimes even of the children who were here. And um, I love seeing children sing um, deep songs, now, now deep theological songs. doesn't mean it has to be old. You know, I love singing like Watts and Wesley. But there are so many new hymns being written today, and we sang a bunch of them this morning. And um, your children are memorizing these things, and they will stick with them for the rest of their lives. Uh, there was a guy that was on a, a, a program with BBC, a British Broadcasting Company, and um, they would sing hymns. And he says, for children, hymns are like time bombs in their brains. They memorize these words. They might not even know what they mean, but, you know, they memorize them uh, generally, you know, accurately. Once in a while, I used to sing the song, uh, Be Thou Exalted. I would sing, Be Thou Exhausted, um, which is heresy because God doesn't get tired. But, uh, but generally, the words stick, and, and then sometimes that's going to go off, and they're going to remember that. So hearing kids singing about uh, Jesus is strong and kind, um, he's good and faithful, Hearing kids sing that Jesus will hold them fast, uh, you're programming them with the truth. This last song is actually an old text, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. How many of you have just kind of found that to be like a lifeline for you? Uh, there's so many people I know, they get discouraged and just kind of play that on repeat. 
And uh, Matt Merker took an old text that really wasn't very well known because it didn't have a great tune. He, he wed it to a beautiful tune, so encouraging. And then he wrote this last verse. And um, when, I, when I wanted to highlight that for you, look at, the, look at the doctrine that's in that song. You might have thought of that as a fairly simple song, but for my life he bled and died. What doctrine is that? Anybody? For my life he bled and died. That, that's our salvation. That's the atonement. In fact, uh, a fancy word, that's the vicarious atonement. I mean, that's, that's fancy. It means Jesus dead in my, died in my place. So Jesus took my place and he bled and he died for me. And then it says, justice has been satisfied. Anybody want to guess what doctrine that is? All right, it's justification. Um, justice has been satisfied, specifically the satisfaction of God's wrath uh, that Willie talked about. What's that? It's the doctrine of propitiation. Um, Jesus didn't erase our sins. He, he took them all and he absorbed God's wrath and satisfied God's justice. The next line uh, says, raised with him to endless life. What doctrines are there? You got the doctrine of the resurrection. But it's not only that Jesus rose, but, but we are raised with him. So you have a doctrine of our union with Christ, that we, through salvation, were buried like him uh, to our old way of life and were raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, we have endless life, so we have a, a future, you know, of uh, eternal life. There's regeneration. There's the, there's the future state till our faith is turned to sight. So now we're singing about Christ coming. In one stanza, four lines, he just packed all of this good theology. And uh, I don't care if a song is 500 years old or five years old. We need to be singing stuff like that. And um, what a blessing music is to allow us to worship the Lord in that kind of way. So we can switch over to the other one. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a hymn lover. I'm a music lover. And um, I'll go ahead and mention, I just recently had the uh, privilege of writing a book on the importance of hymns. It's called Theology That Sticks. And it, it's what I just said. Th these songs will stick with you. In fact, uh, there will be people on their deathbed who sing hymns. Have you ever been around someone who maybe had dementia? Uh, what a sad what a sad uh, experience in existence. They can't remember you know, events from yesterday. They can't remember children's names or faces. But I've, I've been with people and I've seen videos of other people who have dementia. Um, actually, Ron Hamilton, a friend of mine, Pastor Pirate, uh, he has dementia and he can't remember things. And then a hymn comes on and he starts singing along. He knows, he knows every word. He knows the tune. He knows, he knows the harmonies. Because, because hymns stick with us. You know, I, I use this illustration. Uh, Andy Stearns and I were talking about it this morning. There were two brothers, uh, John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley was a famous preacher in England and America. He preached to millions of people, 1700s around the First Great Awakening. One of the most important uh, preachers in the English language. So somebody tell me you know, a quote from a John Wesley sermon. What's your favorite John Wesley you know, a little snippet that he said, and it just has stuck with you. Anybody? Nothing. Really? Well, of course you don't know John Wesley's sermons. Quote something from your pastor's sermon last Sunday. That's discouraging. Yeah, sermons don't stick like that. Now, John had a younger brother named Chuck. Uh, we'll call him Charles, Charles Wesley. He also was a preacher, but he wrote songs. Give me something that, that Charles Wesley said that has stuck with you. Let's see, sing with me. Um, and can it be that I should gain 
and interest in the Savior's. We didn't even practice that. Good job. <laughs> or we could do rejoice. The Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. All right, all right, yeah, that was okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, how about this one? Christ the Lord is risen today. There you go. How did you do that? All right, one more. Um, Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to Yeah, we could, we could sing all those verses, and actually some of them are so beautiful in what they teach about Christ. It sticks. Uh, so this book talks about how hymns stick with us. And uh, sometime this afternoon, I'm going to set up a table in the back and um, I have some devotionals I've written called Gospel Meditations for Women or Gospel Meditations for Men. And then uh, some books are available. This one's available. And if you'd like to get those, uh, you can purchase them. I'm going to need someone to volunteer uh, to help me, maybe a few people to help me run that table before and after chapel services in the morning and the evening. Uh, if somebody does that, I will give you an equal cut of what I make from those sales. Uh, we both will get nothing, but... Great is your reward in heaven. So uh, if anybody would like to be a, uh, a salesman and uh, would let, help, like to help me out, then, then see me and let me know that. I hope that will be a help to Christ's church. And just uh, the main thing is just, man, music is so great. And, and I love it when churches use it well. You served us really well today, Willie. So thank you to all the musicians for that. And um, Asher, Asher and I were sitting down here this morning and he was getting ready to play a solo I was getting ready to preach. I was way more nervous than he was. And I told Asher, I said, hey man, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. And he was smooth and he was like, yeah, I'm not worried about it, you'll do fine. And um, <laughs> I looked at the notes, there were all kinds of triplets and sixteenths and he killed it. So uh, really good job there. Uh, Sim, his dad is right, Sim was hyperventilating up there. That's, that's where you get nervous is watching your kids, right? So uh, really good job and, and all of that. Uh, is for the glory of God. All right. Lord, thank you that we can gather together uh, for family camp. Lord, I've been so excited to be here. And uh, anyone who knows me that heard I was coming to this camp said what a special place it is and how many memories they have and how you've used it to work in thousands and thousands of people's lives. And I thank you that we can be here. Uh, many have just, they've been working hard or getting through responsibilities at home, just kind of getting to this as a goal so they could breathe and be with family and relax and, and, and then come together with longtime friends or make new friends. And, and thank you that we're here. Thank you for a place like this. Thank you um, that you led people back in the 1950s to purchase this property and start a camp. Uh, what a beautiful place. Thank you that this camp uh, is so committed to the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that as, uh, as I have the privilege to preach it, as, as Annie preaches, and as we have a ministry to, to teens with Sawyer and, and with children, and then as we have uh, conversations through the day or family Bible times, so I just pray that you will do a unique work. And um, I pray that we won't leave the same people that we arrived as. I pray that those who come in burdened and discouraged will be uh, encouraged through the truth of the Scripture, encouraged in the Gospel. I pray that any who come in who don't yet know Jesus will come to understand their need of Him and that you will open their eyes to the truth and, and save them. Uh, I've been praying, Lord, that you will use this to grow us as Christians and to give us a greater vision for what you're doing around the world. Even uh, Lord of the Harvest, my prayer is that 
you will this week from this group of people, you will send forth laborers. Jesus, you told us to pray for that. And we're praying not just generally, but specifically from this group, send forth laborers. And, and it might be an eight-year-old child. It might be uh, somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, who's just maybe going to get a vision of how you could use them. So do your work, and Lord, we'll be very jealous that the glory goes to you. Uh, meet with us and help us today. And we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your Bibles and go to 3 John. While you do, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. It's awkward. I come by myself without my family to family camp. And uh, there's probably something wise about that. If you're going to preach on the family, don't bring your own uh, for people to watch. But uh, my, I, I have four daughters. You can see them there. That's uh, the celestial city of Atlanta in the background. It's really not that pretty, but it was a good day uh, for taking a picture. My wife, Lori, and I are standing in the middle. Uh, I tell people we've been married for 20 happy years, which isn't bad out of 26. And uh, she's, you know, just a huge blessing in my life. So my wife, Lori, and I, and then the Lord bless us with four daughters. Uh, four daughters. Let's pray again, as a matter of fact. Um, there was a time when they were 13, 15, 17, and 19. Oceans of emotions at my house. Uh, but we're all super close. And then uh, my oldest daughter, you can see on the left, she's married uh, to Ray, the other male in the picture. And uh, Ray is an officer in the United States Marine Corps Reserves. And um, God's using him in unique ways. I love that guy, my best friend and, um, and her husband. So I just need three other really good guys. And uh, my, my third born, Esther, is entering her senior year in college and she told me she was going to find somebody very exotic from some island in the Pacific or something. Then she went to college, and she fell in love with a guy from Iowa, as a matter of fact. So uh, not so exotic, but, but you raise them well here. So uh, we're excited about that. That's us. I've kind of told you uh, my ministry history. How is it that after 25 years pastoring, I recently transitioned to do missions? Basically, I'm I'm doing missions recruiting. I'm a missions agitator. I want you to think more about the Great Commission. And, you know, how did that happen? Well, during my years pastoring, um, it's, it's kind of easy to get in this mindset. A pastor is successful if the church he pastors grows. So if we had 50 people last year, we want 60 next year. You know, we, the more we grow, the more we measure that as success. And, and praise God for churches that grow. However, here we are gathering around a couple and we're, we're praying over them because we're about to send them out. Here's a question. What if success as a church means that we send people rather than just collecting people? What if success means that as God is working in our church and maturing people, there's times that on purpose we actually deploy them and instead of just collecting people, people for our kingdom, we send them to needy places around the world. I use the example of parenting. If, if I showed you that picture of my family and I said, you know, my wife and I are such good parents, our children are planning to live with us in our basement until they're in their 50s, you would say, you know, we need to call human services for intervention. Uh, or we would say, why did we bring a cult leader to preach at family camp? No, my job is to train kids and eventually to send them out and so that was my experience. My, my family of two went to three, to four, to five, to six. And you'd say, well, now it's seven. Ah, uh, now it's kind of five. 
who actually live with me because when my daughter married, she went out and started a new family. And that's not failure, that's success. Churches need to be thinking that way. I I tell people sometimes churches are like the Hotel California. Some of you older people, you know the Hotel California? Uh, You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. And some churches, they just, they want their people to stay no matter what. Well, what if we're training people so, so that we can actually send them to darker places? And over the last four or five years of my ministry at Killing Hill, not, not a huge church, uh, not small, but maybe like 300. So, um, you know, grateful for what God was doing. But I, I don't want you to think this was a mega church. This is a normal church. And over the last several years, God has been doing a work where he was sending people out. Uh, this is Dave and Karen Brown. He was a lawyer uh, in Pennsylvania and uh, was kind of living his dream, but the Lord got his attention about the need of the Great Commission, and he left his law practice and went as a missionary to South Africa. Uh, then maybe uh, eight years ago, he moved to Atlanta. He was working with our mission, BMW, and he was training people for missions and uh, his wife is a godly lady. They're, they're probably the best disciple makers we have in our church. And then the Lord prompted them to get back on the mission field. So we cherry picked this one, but we got to send them back out. That's the family we're praying over. We sent them back out and now they're, they're doing amazing ministry in South Africa. I tell people we needed this family because they were so good discipling people, but we didn't need them as much as South Africa needs them. Uh, there's more gospel need there. Well, then, then the Lord allowed this guy, Zach Bell, came to our church, our best evangelist. He, here's a guy that would actually, in Atlanta, go live in an area called Clarkston, and he would meet you know, refugees and immigrants and, and learn their language and find interpreters and, and would evangelize these people. He wants to go to Nepal, and um, he just finished Bible college. He got married. I joke, he was at 100% financial support to do missions work. Then he got married and it went down to 25%. Uh, not entirely true, but eh, a little bit. Uh, so they're still raising support, but they're getting close. They now have a baby. He's going to Nepal. Now, just you know, for an example, uh, BMW, who I serve with, doesn't have a presence in Nepal yet. He's going to Nepal. He's young. He needs a mentor. Um, we are sending him with ABWE, another... Uh, like-minded mission board because they have a team in Nepal. We're not trying to build our kingdom or our brand. We're trying to see gospel advance. They're getting ready to go to Nepal. He's going to do a tremendous job there. I had a chance to go on a mission trip. Uh, I just say Southeast Asia because it's a closed country. But I I went on a mission trip. I came back. I preached about missions. Uh, We would host missionaries And there's this young family, Uh, he's a firefighter, she had been a teacher in our Christian school, and now is a mom raising these three lovely kids. And they're in their 30s, I'm preaching on missions, and that afternoon I got a call and they said, Pastor, we've been talking and praying about this. We believe that the Lord is calling us to be missionaries. And you know, it's, it's kind of like he's, he's done a good job serving people as a firefighter, but he's going to devote his life to, to fighting bigger fires. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't go to seminary. Uh, they went to, maybe you guys have heard of Awana Theological Seminary. Uh, they just know a lot of Bible from youth. They grew up in our church. Their parents are in our church. So at one point, Allison had four generations in our church. She has every reason to stay. But they said, Pastor, God's calling us to go. Literally 12 hours away. So it's the opposite side of the world Last October, I had a tearful goodbye, drove them to the airport. They're serving the Lord. 
in Southeast Asia, and God is using them. And they're not remarkable people. I used to think that missionaries are heroes. They are. I love missionaries. I admire missionaries, but they're not superheroes. They're not Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. They're, they're just normal Christians who have a burden to reach the lost. This family said, you know, we'd, we'd like to go, and they've gone. Now, during the sermon, they were on their phones, and I thought, you know, they're taking sermon notes. They were not. Uh, they were texting this family. Uh, this is uh, Nick and Julia Brown, also in the same country, and they said, hey, we're going would you like to go with us? And the Browns initially said, no, thanks, but we'll pray for you. We might even support you, but you know, good luck. And then God worked in their heart. They called me and he was the elementary principal in our school. We need this guy. He said, Pastor, God is calling us to missions. We're planning on going. Two months ago, they went to the airport with their uh, family. They've had another baby since then. So five kids, and they're going to a difficult, dark place. We need them, but not like their target country needs them. I, I tell people, most of our churches are like Alabama football. Uh, sorry for the SEC reference, it pains me. But, you know, Alabama is so deep, their second or third string could probably beat most teams. So we lose these people and it hurts, but there's somebody that can step in and they're going to dark places. So, sometimes Christians can can... Be, I, I'm not meaning this to be a negative on what's happening this week, but Christians love to be with Christians, sing with Christians, study the Bible with Christians, and we say we're, we're gospel-centered because we talk to Christians a lot about the gospel. But if we're truly gospel-centered, we don't just hold the gospel, we want it to expand to unreached peoples. And so we're, we're sending these people out. And it just started this, you know, this drumbeat. I get a call from Doug Abel's. He was our head of school. Our Christian school has about 430 people. He's got a lot of responsibility. We definitely need this guy. He says, hey, Chris, I need to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you going? And he says, you know, the Lord's burdening us for South Africa. There's some ministries in the Middle East, and uh, he's probably going to be partnering with them. And they're no longer at our church. They're, they're launched again. I uh, had a deacon call. His, his wife was a teacher in a Christian school. He's just a faithful, you know, just hardworking guy. And uh, pastor, we need to talk. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, same song, seventh verse, where are you going? And they've moved to Idaho to help in a church plant in Mormon country. Uh, on and on. I continue to go. This guy, faithful Christian, so much wanted to be in ministry, but the Lord had him working for UPS in training. Now he's retired, and I just I, I mention all these people because they're so diverse. They didn't necessarily grow up on the mission field. They're just normal Christian people, different ages, different walks of life. Uh, he retired from doing training with UPS, and now he's doing training for missions. And he said, Pastor, if I if I take on this job, I'm not going to be able to be the Sunday school superintendent and teach so much, and I'm going to have to do less at church. Yeah, Tom, do that. We got others that can step up, and. Um, Again and again, this, this guy was another deacon in our church, and he so wanted to be in pastoral ministry. In December, one of the last things I did as the pastor at Killian Hill is pray over this guy and his wife and their baby, and now he's pastoring in Atlanta. And you get the picture, you feel like, who's left? Plenty of people are left. But the Lord has been doing a work in the last several years of sending people to such a degree that my favorite thing about pastoring is probably preaching, 
Uh, I, I just love to communicate about the Bible. This is just frank honesty. If I couldn't preach, I would starve to death because I have no other skills whatsoever. But the other thing I love doing is seeing people get a vision for missions and, and sending them. And um, if, if I could do more of that, I would love that. So uh, the Lord sent us a family, uh, the Ajmans, uh, Kwame and Jasmine, they have another baby now. And we're in Atlanta, very, very diverse community. One of the 10 most diverse communities in America is Gwinnett County. And this mature black family comes, they want to be part of our church. And I'm like, man, we need this guy. So he works for Emory Hospital System. He does like data entry. And he's, he's going to just excel in his career. I made a mistake though. I asked him to share his testimony and speak on a Wednesday night. And as he was speaking, I'm like, oh no, this guy's called to preach. And um, he preached several times. I finally took him to lunch. I said, Kwame, um, we love having you here. You could get an MBA and just be a leader in our church teach Sunday school. But I want you to pray about maybe God has gifted you for ministry. Maybe you should pursue that full time. He talked to his wife. He says, you know what? We've been burdened about that. We're ready. How do I do that? I told him, well, you need to go to seminary. You need to learn some more Bible. You got saved later in life. And he said, where would you recommend? And by the time we finished studying, uh, he just finished his first semester at this college called Faith Baptist Bible College and Seminary in Ankeny, Iowa. And uh, he's doing it online. Eventually, he's probably going to go out as a church planter. We're not just trying to keep people. We're trying to deploy people. And uh, another couple, he grew up in our church, math major, finance master's degree, and the two of them called and said, hey, we're, we're both working in finance, but rather than doing it where we live, how about if we went to Europe and we could get a job in Germany or Switzerland and our job could open a door for us to go in ministry. I think a future of ministry, especially in places like, like Europe, uh, some Asian countries, there's people that are studying maybe nursing. I would never say change your major to missions. I would say finish your nursing degree or your tech degree or your business degree and then the Lord might open a door for you to do missions as a tent maker. Somebody asked me, they literally make tents? No, they don't make tents. Um, that's a, an analogy from Aquila and Priscilla and Paul for a while. Their business was tent making, but their passion was disciple making. So here's another normal family, and they're probably not going to unreached tribes in New Guinea. They're probably going to get a white collar job in Europe, but they're gonna serve the Lord as missionaries. The last family that went out on my watch was my family. And after seeing all this, I was like, Lord, what I would really love to do is, is just to, to beat the drum of missions in places like this. And I'm not going to talk about missions all week. Um, if you're looking at your notes and you're confused because I'm supposed to be preaching on Psalm 1, I called, called an audible and just said, let me just tell you who I am and uh, what I'm excited about. I'm, I'm praying that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors. And when I tell pastors about fostering that in their church, I would pray for our church as I prayed for you this morning. Not just generally, Lord, send forth laborers from somewhere. I would pray, Lord, send forth laborers from this church. Uh, there were times I was tempted to say, that family, send them. But I did not. That would just almost a joke. Um, and I'm praying this week. Uh, when I heard I was going to be preaching to a family camp at Iowa Regular Baptist Camp, so many people are like, that is such a great place. God worked in my life so many ways. I'm thinking, you're telling me there are families 
who spend their money and vacation time to go here preaching all week. Y'all are a bunch of missionary candidates. You know, I'm actually praying that that God this week will stir people toward missions. Doesn't mean it's a failure if he calls you to stay. I won't preach this sermon, but beginning of Acts 21, there's a church, they pray with Paul and his team. Paul and his team get on a boat and continue their journey, and the church goes home. It says, and they went home. And there's something very sacred and important about it. You just go home, you work your job, you're active in your church, you raise godly kids, you, you witness to your neighbors. That's not second class. You don't need to feel guilty about being just an ordinary Christian. But for some, God is calling you to missions, and that's what my kind of new calling is. So, you know, my strategy is to preach everywhere I can, Uh, churches, colleges, camps, conferences. I love faith. Um, I'm so excited about what God's doing at faith. We just had uh, a girl, Trisha, and uh, Trisha just married a guy. She's a faith grad. And I'm saying to people at BMW, like faith is, is filled with people who love Jesus and, and uh, the Lord could work to send people to missions. So we're getting to do that. I'm networking with pastors, churches, Students trying to urge pastors, you know, to have a vision for sending people out. I'm a writer, so I'm going to keep writing books and devotionals and hymns and things like that. I am gathering like-minded prayer and financial partners. I left my ministry job, and now I'm raising support just like any other missionary and asking people to pray. And finally, I'm praying for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Calling missionaries into missions is beyond my pay grade. I can't do that. That's God does that. But he commanded us to pray. And so I'm praying, and I'm praying that this week there will be some that say, you know, maybe God could use me on a field. Maybe, maybe my, my, my sense of, you know, kind of a, a holy dissatisfaction. Like, Lord, I'll do my job, but, but I feel like maybe there's something more you want me to do. Maybe, maybe he's calling you to be a laborer. I'm praying to that end. And, um, Nobody ever uses these QR codes, but um, as you pray for me, I, I do updates. I'll have a sign-up sheet just so you can know about that. Let's get to the text, and we're not going to have adequate time to get through Third John, but I, I love this passage, Third John. I'm going to tell you why I'm so passionate about giving my life to this. You know, I, I thought about for a while, maybe I would do like hymn writing full time or something. Well, hymns are important, but not as important as the Great Commission. You know, this isn't, the Great Commission isn't an addendum that we staple onto Christianity. It's at the heart of Christianity. When Jesus ascended into heaven before he went, he gave this Great Commission. And it wasn't just about singing or being nice to your neighbors or loving your wife. The great charge for the church is to go into all the world and make disciples, to go to all the world and preach the gospel. This is what we do. And Third John says we do it for the sake of his name. Third John is an underappreciated book of the New Testament. You have these New Testament letters. Fancy people call them epistles. Epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Epistles are letters. This is a letter, just a little one. One chapter, kind of a postcard from the apostle John. So he writes John's gospel, First John, Second John, Third John, and Revelation. Third John doesn't get a lot of attention, but oh, it's such a great book. It's a great missions book, but it also tells a great story. Let me give you a look at the plot real fast. Please don't think I'm being 
uh, irreverent with this analogy, but does anybody recognize these characters? Guy in the middle is named Dudley Do-Right, and he's kind of a swashbuckling, you know, he's clumsy, but he's a hero in a way. There's a villain, you can see him curling his mustache. Anybody know the name of the villain? Snidely Whiplash. You guys are doing great. He's the bad guy. And then there's the damsel in distress. I never get her name quite right. Nell. All right, we'll go with that. It's Nell. Okay, now, while we're at it, without looking, name the main characters of the book of 3 John. That is disheartening, let me tell you. Well, 3 John... Third John has this, these people who are in distress. They need help. And they're called the brothers, but they're missionaries. They're not from the church that is being written to, but they're going out for the sake of Jesus' name, and they need help, but there's a villain, a bad guy, named Diotrephes. Have you ever met somebody named Diotrephes? You know, a Christian family named their son Diotrephes? No, it would be like naming your daughter Jezebel, because he's a bad guy. He's the villain... And then you have kind of the hero. It's going to be John himself, a guy named Gaius. Apparently a church is meeting in Gaius' house. And then there's another leader, Demetrius. What I'm trying to get in your mind is, you know, forget these characters, but there's a plot. So in this very short passage, we have a plot. And it's a story, but it tells us about the importance of missions. So let's go ahead and read 3 John together. I'm going to make a few uh, comments on it, and then we'll be done for the morning. Uh, Why don't you stand... Uh, out of respect for Scripture, and to wake yourselves up. So, Third John. This is the Word of God. Uh, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient. This is what God wants us to know. Third John. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. So I'm praying for spiritual health and physical health, both for you. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers, the brothers, came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's probably the verse you know from 3 John. He loves to hear that people he's ministered to are walking in the truth. Now let's get to the plot. Verse 5. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out, so they left home, they went to the mission field, they've gone out for the sake of the name, for the sake of Jesus' name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Okay, that's not Jew versus Gentile, that's just kind of a way of saying unbelievers. Christian missions are supported by Christians, uh, not by, by pagans. Verse 8, therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, boo, hiss, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, King James says he likes to be preeminent. He does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what, it, uh, what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. 
Demetrius, that's my guy, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, you know that our testimony is true. And then he kind of signs off. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. 15 verses, short text, powerful, powerful book. Let's study quickly what God has to say about missions through this text. Be seated, please. Talk first about the whole idea of mission as taught in 3 John and really throughout the New Testament. And I would summarize it this way. The church must aggressively take the gospel to the lost for the sake of Jesus' name. You know, the, the main idea of what's happening in 3 John is you have these people called the brothers. So they're, they're unnamed, they're anonymous. You know, they're not, they're not famous, but they've devoted their lives to preaching the gospel. They've gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus, and they're taking the gospel somewhere else, you know, cross-cultural. They're in the process of raising support. So John, in the beginning, verse 5, he says, hey, attaboy, good job helping those guys. They told me about it, and I rejoiced. Then verses 6 through 8, he's going to say, now you ought to do more for these guys because they've gone out for the sake of the name. So they've left the comfort of home. They've left family. They might have left jobs, careers. Why would they do something like that? They went out for the sake of Jesus' name. So I'm, I'm using each word very intentionally. The church must aggressively take the gospel to the loss, not passively, not, not haphazardly, we need to get the gospel to lost people. Again, if, if your conversations about Christ and the beauty of the gospel are only happening with fellow Christians, you can't really say you're living a gospel-centered life. You have been reconciled, 2 Corinthians 5 says, in order to be a reconciler, an ambassador telling other people that they need to be reconciled to God. So whether it's evangelism locally, uh, whether it's church planting regionally or, or missions internationally, we have to be about the gospel. And it, when I say the gospel, even that, like, missions is not just, you know, um, giving people clean water. It's not just feeding people. It's not just relief work. If what we're doing could be done by the United Way or Red Cross, we're not doing missions. Missions might include those things, but it has to include a verbal giving of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Telling people you're lost in sin, Jesus will rescue you. We have to be aggressive about that. And I, I say that because I think many Christians are rather passive. I would even say as a church planter in Ohio, you know, we started with a, a small group of people, less than 20. And everywhere I went, I'm inviting people to church. I'm giving them the gospel because our church needed to grow. And then once it became financially sustainable, independent, if a family went on vacation, it didn't take half the congregation. You know, we, we arrived and it was easy to just, okay, now we don't have to be so urgent about evangelism. We, we don't evangelize because we want to see our church grow. We don't evangelize because we're missionaries. We evangelize because we're Christians. And we need to be urgent about taking the gospel to the lost. And the motivation is we do it for the sake of Jesus' name. For the sake of the name. Uh, Paul begins the book of Romans talking about how what Jesus has done as he's, gonna, as he's going to explain throughout the book, you know, the gospel was all done for the sake of Jesus' name. 
Paul and Barnabas are going to be described by James in Acts 15 after their first missionary journey where where Paul was stoned and left for dead. They went through all this trouble. And, And the description of them in Acts 15, 25 and 26 is they risked their lives for the sake of the name. Okay, so they went out for Jesus' glory. Sometimes missionaries will, will say, well, you know, my main motivation is compassion for lost people. Compassion for lost people is necessary. But we have even a higher motive. We go out because we want Jesus' name to be exalted. We want Jesus to be praised. We want that throng that's described in Revelation 5 and 7, people from every tribe, tongue, kindred, nation, We want people praising the Lamb in heaven because we participated in missions. I literally pray, Lord, build your church in South Africa and might there be people around the throne because this couple is leaving our church to go find them. We do it for the the glory of Jesus. John Piper uh, famously writes in his missions book, Let the Nations Be Glad, his first sentence is, missions exist because worship doesn't. What he means is, We go out as missionaries to help people become worshipers of Jesus. And and God is doing that. He's bringing glory to his name through the gospel. Ephesians 1 unpacks how beautiful the gospel is. And three times in verses 6, 12, and 14, it says, God is doing what he's doing through the gospel so that we should be to the praise of his glory. We have a Godward focus. We're urgent about it. Everything else can can fall by the wayside. We can, we can leave, we can leave a, a really healthy job, a great income. One of the guys who went on a team, there were three families that went, uh, to this, to this, uh, South Pacific, uh, country. Two from our church, one from a neighboring church. And the guy was a financial advisor. I want to say he was a financial advisor to the University of Wisconsin you know, on how to use their endowment. He, he was big time in finance, making a really healthy income. And he could very easily have said, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep making money and I'll give to missions. And praise God, that would have been a great thing. But he said, you know, I, I don't want to just support somebody else. I think God's calling me to do it. And he left a, a significant salary to go and live in a hot somewhat dangerous, very spiritually dark place to tell people about Jesus. God's doing that. We, we need to be part of that with urgency. So the mission is just the church needs to aggressively take the gospel to the lost, and we do it for the sake of Jesus' name, for his glory. There's another portion of this, though. We see it especially in verses 6 through 8, I guess 5 through 8, and that's giving. Not every Christian is supposed to go. You don't need to beat yourself up if you're called to serve the Lord in Iowa or Minnesota. But a second point is this. The church must generously, I could have said aggressively, we must generously, sacrificially support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. So he says, good job. And then he says in verse 6, you will do well to send the brothers, missionaries, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Verse 8 we ought to support people like this that we can be fellow workers for the truth. So those of us who don't go should be more generous in giving and to do it in a manner worthy of God. What does it mean to support ministry in a manner worthy of God? Well, we don't do it in a half-hearted way. 
Um, I, I grew up, went to college, and um, my college, I won't say where it was, uh, but it's in Greenville, South Carolina, and, you know, Google it. You know, had a great experience there, but in our dorms, we had a missions barrel. Did anybody else grow up with a missions barrel? The idea of a missions barrel is you have shirts that are worn out, stained, threadbare, you know, sweaters that are balling up, and they're not good enough for you anymore. Ah, but if you put them in the missions barrel, the missionaries would love them. I mean, they're looking for secondhand shirts that have yellow stains in the armpits. And, you know, you'd be serving God and missions to give them, and, and we kind of give them castaways, you know, secondhand stuff. I've been in missionary cupboards, and, and some of them are beautiful, and, and you're giving people iPads. You're really outfitting them for what they're called to do. But I was in a church, there was a ladies' ministry, they would take greeting cards that had been used, cut out the flowers, and paste them to construction paper, because missionaries love secondhand greeting cards. You know, I mean, why waste five bucks on a new box when we could give them handmade? And you say, that's, that's ridiculous. It is. But one of my burdens as a pastor is we need to treat missionaries with a greater degree of respect. And part of that, we treat them well because how we treat an ambassador reflects on our thinking about the person sending them. So we treat them in a manner worthy of God. Isn't it a, isn't it a burden to you? Our, our American support system for missions, we pray for laborers. And then some of our best and brightest agree to go out for the sake of the name. And then they might spend three or four years traveling from church to church, raising support. It takes so long. And I would say that's not supporting missions in a manner worthy of God. We should be more generous. You know, I use the example, um, you know, whatever vehicle you have, the missionary that you support in Uganda needs a better vehicle than you have. I mean, your roads are tolerably good. Okay, potholes maybe, but you're not off-roading. You're not going into the bush. We need to outfit them. We need to be generous. I think we can do better with that. And this is saying to do it in a manner worthy of God, to do it sacrificially. Good job when you do that. Let's do even better. I love this contrast between 3 John and 2 John. In 2 John, I'll, I'll cherry pick. I won't read the whole text. But 2 John 10 says, don't help false teachers. Look, it's just a page back. Another one chapter book. Look at 2 John 10 quickly. John says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, sound teaching about Christ, orthodox teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. King James says, don't even bid him Godspeed. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. If you do anything to aid and abet a false teacher, God holds you responsible for their false teaching. There is guilt by association. There's a reason that our churches believe and practice biblical separation, that we cannot cooperate with heresy. Or if we do, we're guilty of the heresy. So we can't help a false teacher or we're going to be um, culpable, accountable for his false teaching. But then 3 John says, on the other hand, look at 3 John verse 8 and, and read it with the same mindset. We ought to support people like these in order that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So when you support a gospel preaching ministry, you get credit by association. 
So you're supporting somebody in Brazil, and even though you've never been there, God is rewarding you for that work. It sounds kind of like a multi-level scheme, you know, it's, it's not that, but that's how much God admires what you do. Through your mission dollars, you or your church are actually fellow workers, you're partners with what's happening in Brazil for gospel advance. So don't support false teachers, but, but do support those who are doing the work of God. And all through the New Testament, Paul will write, and he'll say, hey, I'm sending so-and-so to you. You know, treat him well. Send him on his way. Outfit him. You know, take care of his financial needs. Let, let's just give a little bit more and get him on his way. Most of us have some disposable income. And you know, your $50 a month, if, if families would just do $50 a month for a missionary you know and, and love, just say, hey, we're burdened, we're gonna take you on regular monthly support. It's not crazy money. I'm not telling you to sell your house, just, just give a little bit more generously and regularly. Now I'm telling churches and you know, missionaries say, Chris, you can say stuff because you were a pastor, so say it. All right, I'll say it. I'm less excited about a church having a map with a hundred pins and missionaries, they don't know their names. You know, they support them each for small amounts. I would rather see churches have like six, eight, 10 missionaries. You know them well, you support them generously and you pray for them and, and you respond to their prayer letters. I had a missionary tell me, Chris, now we send our prayer letters out through MailChimp and it gives us analytics we can tell who opened our letter. And it's kind of discouraging. Like nobody reads our letters. And maybe he needs to write more interesting letters, but maybe Christians just need to like, a missionary sends you a letter, read it and reply. Just take, take 30 seconds to say, thanks for the update, love what you're doing. We do pray for you. And I'm gonna pray for that lady you mentioned in your prayer request. Just engage them. You know, who, who was the missionary? Uh, who, who in going to India said, you know, I'll go down into the mine, but you need to hold the ropes. All right, William Carey, the idea that they're going out for the sake of Jesus' name, the least we can do is encourage them, pray for them, support them, and, and give generously to them. Have a higher esteem for our missionaries. The church must generously support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. The church can do it, individuals can do it. You can just have a missionary you're burdened for and just say, hey, I want to lean in and help. You know, 100 a month, 200 a month, 25 a month, but we love you, we're praying for you. Missions is not the job of a few elite Christians. It's the job of us, every Christian. We can go, we can give. And then this last one is schism. Schism is, is division, fracture. We get quickly to this guy, Diotrephes. And I put it this way, the church must avoid petty divisions which hinder Great Commission work. The devil doesn't necessarily need to get us to believe heresy or commit murder or, you know, infidelity. If he could just get us bickering and distracted by other small things. So in the middle of this book, we have this guy, Diotrephes. He wants to be preeminent I like the King James translation because it reminds us of Colossians 1.18. There's one person who's preeminent in the church. Who is it? It's Jesus. Only one. You know, pastors, I don't even like to refer to, well, my church. Like, it's not my church. I didn't shed my blood. It's Jesus' church. 
He's the shepherd. I'm, I'm an under-shepherd. He's, he's the one. Diotrephes wanted to be first place. And, and he's doing this schism. He, he won't receive the brothers. You know, they're, they're not from his college. They're not affiliated with his association. We're not supporting them. And in fact, if anybody in this church supports them, I'll kick you out of the church. So we not only have schism, we have secondary schism. We have, you know, this, this, this hyper separation. Now, understand, we've already said you have to separate from false teaching and not cooperate with false teachers. But that's not what Diotrephes was doing. Diotrephes was just being a punk. That's the Greek word. Um, it, it says, you know, I'll talk about what he's doing. He's speaking wicked nonsense. The Greek word speaking wicked nonsense is blog. All right, I made that up. But he thinks he's serving God by just nitpicking at other Christian leaders. Pick, 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 pick. We're not supporting them. You better not support them. And he's the bad guy. I, I say this, I say this with grief, but there have been times in my life I thought I was being Jude, earnestly contending for the faith, and I was just being diatrophies. I was just picking battles over unnecessary things. I thought I was defending the truth, and really I was just defending my turf, my association, my college, my group, and churches like ours can be that way. And it actually hinders the gospel. And we have a warning. Don't be like Diotrephes. Don't cause unnecessary petty divisions. You know, there's, there's churches who split over, are you allowed to use a guitar? Are you allowed to, to use a cajon? Are you allowed to use drums? You know, should you have hymns or should you project? Should you? I don't care. Just read and, and obey the Bible and sing praises to Jesus and, and just stop worrying about all of this minutia in our lifetime. In the last several years, there are church members, they're more vocal about vaccines than they are about the gospel. I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. Whether you think you should or shouldn't get a vaccine, just, I don't care. You know, masks or no masks, Trump or no Trump. We get so passionate about other stuff, and it's fine to have opinions on those things. I'm, I'm not really trying to, you know, the first message, kick the hornet's nest. I'm just saying... We have to avoid dividing over all these other issues, social issues, political issues, preferences, and just say, you know, be persuaded, but your passion should be the gospel. Am I right? Your passion should be the gospel. People should know that we're disciples because we love each other, because we tell the truth. And, and if you are more passionate about a political persuasion or social issue than you are about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're becoming worldly. We have bigger fish to fry. We need to be passionate about the gospel, not be divided. I finished with this. Why, why go to these hard places? Why leave family church comfort? These families that left our church, they did it with tears. They left grandparents. Why would you do that? I asked a lady uh, on an island in the South Pacific, I said, you know, you've been here for a lifetime. She's She's Scandinavian descent, so she's fair-skinned, light hair, and she's living in one of the hottest places in the world. I said, you know, do you love ocean? Do you love, why are you here? And she, she got a tear on her. She says, I don't love the ocean. I don't love the sun. But I love when people who haven't heard about Jesus hear about him and come to know him as Savior. So I, I may have missed some of, you know, the big events, maybe a, a niece's uh, wedding, 
the birth of a nephew, but it's worth it. Why would you go out for the glory of Jesus' name? Why would you risk disease or danger or violence? It's worth it for the glory of Jesus' name. Why would Christians devote their hard-earned income to see gospel advance in countries where they might never get? We do it for the glory of Jesus' name. It's not about us. The Christian life should be lived with a passion for the name of Jesus. Psalm 115.1, not to us, Lord, but unto your name be glory. We sang this morning, let the glory of Jesus' name be the passion of the church. We do what we do for the glory of Jesus' name. And that is, that is a call to action. So my prayer has been that the Lord would, would work throughout the week to grow you as a Christian, but not merely as a consumer so that you're a better Christian who never thinks about missions, but that you would think about what God is doing all over the world, that the gospel would become more and more precious to you. And I'm asking God to do that work in your heart and in my heart. Lord, open our eyes to the truth. Open our eyes to see that the harvest is, is white and ready, but the labors are few, and Lord of the harvest, send forth more labors. Would you pray with me in the work God's called me to? And be faithful in the work that God's called you to that maybe you haven't given enough thought to. Jesus, thank you for the truth. Thank you for Third John. Small book, but, but beautiful, convicting. I thank you for those who are going out for the sake of the name. I thank you for those who are sacrificially supporting them. Protect us, Lord, from our own divisiveness, our own pride. Might we get in line with the Great Commission, be passionate about what you're doing here and around the world. Lord, we want to see you build your church. We want to see people saved. We want to see a greater throng of worshipers around the throne giving praise to the Lamb. So only you can do that. I pray for you to use this message used today. Use us, your people, to this end. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.